This is the Rebel HR Podcast, the podcast about all things innovation in the people space. I'm Kyle Rode. Let's start the show. Welcome back, Rebel HR listeners. Extremely excited for our guest today. We have with us back on the Rebel HR Podcast, Jeff Cordes. Jeff joined us way back in January of 2021 on episode 28, and we were talking about giving your employees crap. Uh, Today, we are going to be talking about all sorts of things from hybrid work to how to drive retention to uh, how to uh, get uh, into the powerlifting national championship. So, uh, Jeff, (laughs) welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here. Yeah, I didn't realize it was two and a half years when we talked. I said, wow, I'm I'm lucky I'm still alive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not surprised. You're you're a fit guy. You're active. I, you know, I, I... fully expected you to be here, but I, I did not expect it to be two and a half years later. So, you know, we, before we hit record, we were kind of joking around, you know, not, not much has happened in two and a half years. I mean, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty standard stuff, right? Yeah. No, no changes at all in the HR world, of course. <laughs> <laughs> it is funny to think about that though. And, you know, it, it, and to reflect back on everything that our, our, our society, our workplaces, Human resources as a profession, uh, you know, has just has had dramatic change, and and I think a lot of it, you know, it has really been been changed in a in a fairly positive direction. Although much of it's been surprising. So one one of the areas that uh, I, I want to spend some time talking about today, and I just read it literally just read an article today that uh, keeping your employees is more important to corporate executives than, than sales and profit. Uh, and that's according to a, a, a research uh, study done by Gallagher. And it's because it's such a critical challenge that we're all facing uh, today. And so, so one of the areas that, that you spend a lot of your time and expertise and focus on is about keeping your people. Uh, and so I want to start off with that first question. You know, as, uh, as you have been observing this new world of work, what are you finding as driving uh, people to stay with their organizations or alternatively driving them away? You know, I, I, you know, I, this was pre-pandemic. It hasn't changed. But the three things that really drive employee retention are great bosses, great teammates, and a great culture. If you have those three, because if you, if you look at those three elements – all your turnover falls into any one of those three buckets. And if you haven't got all of those three buttoned down, you're going to be losing people no matter what. I, could, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And, and I, think, um, I think what's funny, and I don't know. I don't know about you, but I feel like it's a little bit validating. Like you and I have been saying this as long as we've been in this field, right? Like th- this isn't like rocket science, but I do feel like the rest of the world is like, oh shit, it, you know, we, we do have to worry about keeping people <laughs> and making sure we have good bosses, making sure team, teammates are working well together and making sure we have a great culture. Um, and, and some people are just now discovering this. So for, for those of us that have been uh, kind of preaching this and, and, and talking about this for, for years, um, it, it's a little bit of validation, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it is. And, 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 and I hate to say it, the sad fact that finally CEOs and owners are starting to get the point that 
your profits and everything that you do in your business is driven by talent. And I, and I saw actually, uh, I read an article in the Wall Street Journal recently uh, that said that tenure actually drives productivity. And, you know, so when you start talking about churn and burn with people, uh, it's problematic because, or particularly you get somebody who's got five, six, seven years and they leave, they've got a lot of tribal knowledge and they walk away with that. And when they walk away with that, again, you know, they know their job, they're doing their job well. You bring in somebody that's new, they have to relearn it. Totally. And, and, and it can take years for them to relearn it because it took the prior person five, six, seven years to learn it. Yeah, it, absolutely. And I, I think it's funny because that the statement you made makes perfect logical sense. And I, I have personally observed it um, multiple times. But that's not necessarily how we think about talent. A lot of times we do think about like, well, Somebody who's been around for a long time, they're a, you know, quote, strong contributor, or maybe they're not promotable, or maybe, you know, maybe we need to be thinking about how to, how to, you know, quote, upgrade talent. But that's, that's not necessarily what the research uh, would, would tell you. And so I, I want to expand on that a little bit more. Give us a little bit more insight into this, this idea of tenure as, as something to focus on as it relates to, to our teams. You look at it, I mean, just, the, we we've shifted our focus, and I think it's a good thing. We've shifted our focus because there it needed to have attention. But we've shifted our focus to the newbies, all the people who come in, and over the first you know six months to a year, in some cases it could be the first week, you know when people leave, uh, we we've shifted our focus there, and that's good because clearly we've had talent retention gaps there. But now we've tended to forget about our people who are long tenured. We take them for granted. And you can't because I, I think they see how we treat newbies and they're saying, well, what about me? You know, I, I've been cranking away for eight, nine, 10, 12 years and nobody's ever treated me like that. Uh, and so what we do with our newbies we, we have to also do that with our people who are long tenured. You can't forget those people. The other thing I see, particularly when I say long tenured, I mean, I'm talking, you know, 12 years or whatever. I see people in organizations where they've got people who've been with the organization 30 years. You know, they're, you know, they've been there since they've been 30, they're 60 now. And we tend to take those people for granted. Well, they're going to stick around till retirement. Not anymore. Uh, what I see, and, and, and I, I think, uh, I don't know if you mentioned it in the past, but in addition to speaking uh, across North America on retention, I'm also a headhunter. I headhunt still. And it's amazing the number of people that I suck out of organizations who are, you know, 55 and above. And before that, before that nobody would ever leave after we're at 55. I'm pulling people out of an organization sometimes senior level people out of an organization when they're 55 plus and their employer has taken them for granted. And that's one of the kisses of death for an employer. Hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, <laughs> this might be an odd analogy, but I, I think about it. It's like, it's like a first date, 
Right, like you're always excited, you know, you're excited for the first date, right? And everything's new and exciting and and that's like that's kind of the new hire thing, right? It's like, you know, right. we get excited about these new things. It's like, you know, oh, you know, there's so much there's quote potential, right? Um, but it's a lot harder to keep the magic alive. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. But it's really easy to take, you know, a, a 30-year relationship for granted. And if you don't intentionally focus on it, then, you know, it, it, it can, it can deteriorate. Yeah. Um, and I, I've been married 45 years. So, you know, I have, <laughs> you're probably not even that old. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. No comment. Oh, uh, what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. I, I will okay. get that. <laughs> but, but I do think it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it does come down to being intentional about it, right? Like you, you have to invest in it. And, and I think, you know, this is a, this is a topic that we talked about last time we, we spoke. And, and I think, I think there's something broken with the, um, with, with the language that we use as it's, as it relates to, uh, our teams, you know, and, and even the name, you know, resource, human resource versus, uh, human assets, right. As, as you, uh, as you articulated on our last discussion, um, asset management, right? You know, exactly. Yeah, they're assets, and you protect your assets. Right. Right. Yeah, and the other thing you do with an asset is you invest in it, right? And so it's right. it's. I think about it like you know, as opposed to thinking about the work that we do as a cost center, thinking about it as an investment center. And you know, and if we don't consistently invest in our people and 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 really, you know, really really make sure that we are are intentional about where we put our energy, resources, time, focus, uh, you know, it, they will leave, right? And, and we've, that's, I, my argument is, I don't think that it's a generational thing. I don't think it's a COVID thing. I think it's that people just are, are sick of, you know, being treated like, like a resource. And yeah, cog in the wheel. Granted. Exactly. Cog, yeah, cog in the wheel. Exactly. I mean, that, so, that's, that's, that's what I see a lot of. I mean, uh, uh, I don't care how old people are. We've turned some people into mushrooms when we shouldn't. I mean, and we just, they're there. Uh, we've got to constantly keep people in the organization growing. I don't care if they're 25 or 65 and they're still with you. You got to keep them growing because if, because growth uh, energizes people, keeps them excited and keeps them really, truly contributing. And if you're doing that, uh, people will stay and crazy as it sounds. I mean, I know, I know general managers right now, a couple of my clients, uh, they, the general managers, uh, one is 68, the other is 69. And they're not talking about quitting. You know, and, and, and they could bail, but they say, love doing what I'm doing. The owner treats me right. Uh, and... Yeah, I mean, and, and, and they're vibrant and alive. Absolutely. You know, I, I think it's, I think that's an important topic. And we don't, we don't know that we talk about it enough, but it's the fact that, you know, everybody just assumes that once somebody hits 60, 65, oh, they're, they're a year from retirement or two well, years. Well, everybody keeps asking me, when am I going to retire? Drives me crazy. <laughs> I have no plans to retire because, trust me, I'm over 60. Yeah, and I and I think the the challenge though there is 
the you know it's the it's the fear of the like the knowledge transfer or lack thereof right but but i would argue that it's it's less about that and it's more about it's about allowing uh, allowing people to work in a way that that fulfills them in an environment that allows them to 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 feel fulfilled and and you know they'll first of all they'll stick around a lot longer but that will also that will inherently facilitate knowledge transfer right if right. somebody is if somebody is happy and content and you know maybe they maybe they might retire in 5 years maybe 8 maybe 10 um if they're happy they're going to be a lot more open minded to helping to train and mentor the you know the the next you know individual coming coming up and so you know i'm i'm curious as as we think about this you know this this question of churn and burn versus tenure and how we structure our workplaces what what are you seeing out there with with your clients as it relates to how they're building these successful boss teammate culture kind of this trifecta to keep people uh, successfully employed at their company. Well, and again, when I work with clients, I, I tell them, look, uh, I actually use what I call a great boss checklist. I've developed 34 questions that people look for in a great boss. And uh, I will use that when I'm doing workshop with, with clients. And this was not just some HR checklist. I initially started on it, but then I asked operations people, I asked sales people, I asked customer service people, I asked engineering managers, you know, what are some other things? And I, and and so I've gotten feedback from uh, you know a lot of different disciplines, and I use that to have leaders that are in my workshops self-evaluate and take a good hard look at themselves. Uh, and then I've told them, hey, if you really got guts. Give it to your people and ask them to fill it out on you. And then, and then I see the sweat break out on on on, uh, on foreheads and things like that. But no, but again, you, you, it's constantly asking, you know, what are you doing as a boss? And then I think the other thing from a boss perspective, uh, so many bosses are out there have never been trained in any sort of leadership skills. I mean, I'm amazed. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I'll get directors and VPs in some of my sessions because they want to kind of be there and make sure that uh, they're visible, which is a, is a good thing. And then they come up to me afterwards. They say, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years and I never thought of that. So again, that, that revelation, you know, it really comes, I, it comes down to fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. But a lot of people don't even even senior level execs have never been taught the fundamentals. So I mean, from a boss perspective, that's one thing. From a teammate perspective uh, situation, I talk a lot about respect. You know, uh, do do people uh, treat each other with respect? Do they carry their load? Do they jump in when people need a hand? All those things that, you know, people look at and say, you know, this is what a good teammate's about. Um, you know, and, and when we talk about inclusivity, one of the things I see is oftentimes, uh, particularly when we deal with the uh, uh, various generations, some generations won't include people in, in various events and vice versa. I, I've seen it with younger people, with older people. I've seen it with older people, with younger people. And that's crazy because they're still your teammates, you know, and you can learn so much from each other across the generations. Uh, and then the last thing is the culture. I mean, I've seen, I've seen great bosses. 
I've seen great teammates, but I've seen cultures that are uh, dysfunctional and people leave. So you got to have all, you got to have all three. The other thing is something, one of the worst situations is if you have a dysfunctional culture, it oftentimes breeds dysfunctional bosses. Mm. And that's the kiss of death. When you have those two, you're just going to be rolling through people one after the other. But you need all three in order for uh, people to truly want to stay with the organization. And if you have all three, you're going to have a high performing organization. You know, I was, I was, I was chucking a little uh, bit to myself here because I, I, I saw some article on LinkedIn and it was, it, 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 the joke was that, you know, a, culture is just something that HR came up with to validate their, <laughs> their, their existence, which, which I don't believe by the way, but I, I, I thought it was kind of a funny, a funny article and, and, uh, you know, went on to kind of, you know, poke some holes in the, in the original thesis. But I'm curious as you look at an organizational culture and you, and you think about, you know, good, what, what a good culture looks like. What are the, what are the elements that, that stand out to you that, you know, really help reinforce, okay, this is, this is a good culture. This is a, a culture that people will want to be a part of. I, I think the first thing is, is open to all people, kind of that inclusive, inclusivity piece. Um, everyone has to feel comfortable within the organization. And I'm not saying they're necessarily happy, but they, they, they have to feel like they matter. Uh, I, I think that's one of the, one of the biggest things is, is they have to realize that uh, they matter and what they do matters. I think that that's hugely important. I, I think another thing when we talk about culture is what are the value systems of the organization? I see a lot of organizations that haven't even articulated that, or if they have articulated it, it's so high level that the average person looks at it and says, well, what does that mean for me? I think you have a value system and it has to be translated into what are those behaviors that you expect from people uh, in a high-performing culture. Uh, I think those are probably the two biggest biggest things that I see. Uh, and then you, then you need to build on each one of those things that you've articulated uh, and connect the dots for people. Translate them into if you say uh, we're going to have integrity. Well, what does that mean? A behavior would be we always tell the truth, right? I mean, uh, because a lot of people don't connect the dots. They say, well, what does it mean I'm supposed to have integrity? Explain that to me. And then we never explain it to them so that that never gets gets translated properly and never gets down to the very uh, various levels in the organization. Yeah, I could, you know, I, I couldn't agree more. And this, this is near and dear to my heart because I just did this like, it's like a year. I feel like it was like a ten-year project. It was a, but it was a good like year-long project. Uh, uh, about a year ago, to to do this for my organization to try to figure out, okay, what what is our what is our value system? What what is a value set? But then, but then, how do you take it a little bit deeper and actually define what that means, right? Because it's so easy to sit sit in a boardroom and just slap each other on the back and say, you know, mission accomplished. We, we got our value sets defined, you know, let's put them on the website and, and call it good. It's a lot harder to help, you know, a, a, a customer service rep or a welder or, a, or you know, or a, or a new hire figure out what does this, what does this mean, right? So, so 
I, I've got to believe that as you go into organizations and you help support them uh, with, with with these sorts of things, that, that that's one of the first areas you look at. So, so what have you seen successful organizations do to incorporate these value systems within their organization, not just, you know, on a flashy website somewhere? I always tell people, and I, and I, and I was an HR leader years ago, we had our value system, but then we developed what we called positive behaviors. What were the things that we expected people to do uh, and broke them down to things like, you know, uh, be open and listening, uh, you know, treat people with respect. Uh, part of, and our, in this organization, we had a situation where people would always show up for late for meetings. We even put it right in there. We broke it down so, so far that we said, uh, you know, uh, be respectful by showing up for meetings on time. Yeah. I mean, things, things like that. And, and we looked at each or, at the organization and said, based on us, what positive behaviors we need. Now, when I work with clients, what I find is, is I actually have them do a culture audit. And based on that culture audit actually drives uh, what's going to happen next because most times organizations haven't looked at their culture. And as soon as they do, uh, like, and I love to have the CEO and the HR director fill the thing out together and see the differences between what the HR person thinks and what the CEO thinks. Well, and that's a good exercise because it helps to bring a meeting of the minds, right? And then the next step is how do you develop those things that help, uh, again, it's elaborate on what do these things mean and what do they mean to the culture? That would be a fun exercise. I would I would like to do that and just see see where where are the deltas here and <laughs> and I could see it go either way, right? You could have like the super optimistic CEO that's like you know we're great, uh, you know, good good job everybody, or you and you could have the super pessimistic HR person that's like just like dealing with employee relations investigations, you know, for like twenty five hours a week, um, or 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 some version of that. See, <laughs> You have CEOs that I that that suffer from what I call the few good men syndrome. Mm-hmm. Truth, they can't handle the truth. You know, they 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 think things are better than what they really are, and they're not. They may not be horrible, but oftentimes, especially and you know, in this country, you know, vast majority of uh, organizations are owned by an owner. Not they're not stock held. You know, they're owned by an owner, and the owner, it's their baby. You know, and and so it's tough for them to get past that ego piece, and and admit that well, we've got some things we got to work on. I I don't I don't buy it. There's no egos in in the world of running organizations. <laughs> well, it, it's funny because I'm I'm actually I, you know I'm I'm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm big into this, this stuff. Uh, cause I, when I, my clients come to me, um, you know, they say, well, what can we do? And I, I can explain a lot of things. Actually, I'm, I'm reading a book right now called, uh, ego is the enemy. Uh, phenomenal book. If, if you haven't read ego is the enemy, you know, I'm putting in a plug for the author. Uh, I mean, it, I, I got to tell you, it's, it's great because, uh, all too often we're successful, but then we let our ego get in the way 
of continuing that success. Yeah, I, yeah, it's, I, I say a lot of times, a lot of my job is what I call ego management, right? It's, yeah. it's just like, because, you know, ego serves a purpose, right? Like, you know, the, the, having some confidence and, and being, you know, having kind of that survival instinct and that, and the, the ability to, you know, fight for what you believe in, all those things I think are, can be valuable in the right situation, right? But when right. it comes to calm and rational and building, you know, building culture and strategy and, 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 and being thoughtful as you hold people accountable, as an example, it can be very detrimental, right? So, yeah. uh, it and, takes us over the edge. Yeah. It takes yeah. us from being confident to being egotistical. Right. Right. I, it, yeah. yeah. I, in one of my past, past organizations I worked at, they, they did what you mentioned. They took their value system and they put it into behavioral, like behavioral, you know, context. And one of the one of the terms that I really liked is confidence, not cockiness, right? Like, 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 you know, it's 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 good to be confident. That's a good thing, right? Or have you know have kind of that swagger, if you will. But but when it shifts into cockiness or self assuredness, is maybe the more HR appropriate term there. Um, you know, then it's detrimental. Right. So it's like it's that fine line. Right. Yeah. Fine line. But unfortunately, um, and I understand how I mean, in some ways, I, I had kind of gotten a little to that point because I own my own business. You know, I, I, I built this thing uh, and I've been successful. Uh, but one day I realized that, wait a second, I was starting to get too big of a head. And I said, no, I, I got to step back because I, I've always got a lot to learn to be better. And um, if you get too egotistical, you forget that and you stop learning. Right. And that, it, it, if nothing else kills culture, teamwork, being a good boss, then when you stop learning, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that, is, that is for sure reality. One of the areas I wanted to touch on, I know you've done a lot of work here and <laughs> kind of circling back to where we started this conversation and nothing's changed in two and a half years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, uh, laugh out loud um, yeah. is, is hybrid work and, and kind of the shifting of, of how people, how people conduct work. And so as we think about that in the context of, of having a great boss, having great teammates and, and, and having a great culture, um, how are we supposed to do all that when when the actual physical workplace is shifting so dramatically and now we now we don't have control over environments like we used to uh, three four five years ago? We only we don't have control over environments if we allow that not to happen. Yeah. Uh, and I believe hy hybrid work is 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 truly very effective. I mean, studies have shown that if people work part of the time out of the office, uh, they're actually more productive because they're not sucked into all these meetings. They're not BSing a lot and doing all those things. But the real key is organizations have to set expectations for those folks that are working hybrid. Uh, because uh, if you put them out there and you don't tell them anything, well, People think anything kind of goes, right? But you got to lay out those expectations and be specific about it. I mean, I, as an example, again, one of my clients, he said, well, we've got some people going to uh, 
uh, well, they were they were totally remote. And they said, we're going to bring them back to hybrid. And I said, well, what are, what are the expectations you're laying out for people? And, and general manager said, well, you know, he says, you know, we expect people to be working. I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, he says, I understand if somebody wants to go down and throw their laundry in the, you know, in, in the washer, that's fine. But we expect them then to get back to work, you know, and, and you know, uh, running around doing everything but work is not what we want. Well, what is that? You know, we want you throwing your laundry in. I use myself as an example. Again, I'm the boss. I run my own show. But even me, I, I because I, I have to kind of set my own expectations. I have to be disciplined enough. Uh, before we started, I was looking at my watch and I'm thinking to myself, okay, because I actually, uh, before I jumped onto this, this call, uh, I was preparing my corned beef to be put on the smoker. So I, I made it a point to do that before, you know, it took me about 15 minutes, got on a smoker. It's smoking now as we speak, but I didn't miss our call because of it. You know, I mean, I, I, I know those parameters or you tell people, look, we expect to take 30 minutes for lunch, whatever. Or if you, if you don't want to take lunch, you know, but you take a couple of breaks in a day, we understand that, but we expect you to be working. And we expect that if you don't have enough work that you'll say something. Not that a lot of people do, but you, but you, you, you set that expectation. You tell them what you expect and you elaborate on it. You know, uh, uh, Hey, when I, when I, when I give you a call, uh, I don't want to wait for an hour and a half to get a call back, you know, uh, cause that makes, and I, I, I've, I've told clients to, to tell their people say, hey, cause when you don't call me an hour and a half, that tells me you're doing something else besides work. You know, um, sure. and, and again, but be very, be very specific on those, uh, those, uh, expectations. I mean, and, and some of the other ones, I guess I, I think about is, you know, again, tell them, Hey, it's okay to go do this. It's okay to do that. Yeah, fine. You have to run to the doctor, uh, to take your, your son or daughter or whatever. Uh, that's fine. Uh, but then when you're done, we expect you to come back and go back to work. Uh, you know, and, and just be very, uh, specific and and, and I, I tell them what it's okay to do and certain things they think it's not okay to do and it's a it's a learning experience as you start working through it uh you'll get better because the hybrid work is is something that's you know um really revolutionary in, in a lot of ways yeah I, you know i i think i think it's been fascinating because it and you know i I think it's here to stay. I, I think that organizations that can do it, that that the work structure allows that to happen. You know, there there are some that will never. You know, retail can't be remote, right? Manufacturing can't be remote. Um, at least not all of it. Construction, yeah. You know, although here's a you know a pitch out there. If anybody's you know thinking about a job change, my argument is I think plumbers and electricians and anybody that does like household work, you're going to have so much job security because there's such a scarcity. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a huge issue because I, I do a lot with uh, uh, construction and yeah. Um, yeah. you know, I mean, and I tell construction companies I, I work with and they got some people that are remote Right, in certain jobs can be remote, but then you got all the other folks out in the field. One of the expectations I tell all of my clients, manufacturing, construction, any of those things, 
you will not be out there bragging about the fact that you took a half an hour off to walk your dog and things like that. Yeah. Right. Hey, but it's amazing how people will do such stupid stuff. Yeah. And then the word gets out to the the people and on on the crews out on the, on, on the construction site, the people in the manufacturing plant, all those people and they're saying, wow, this is unfair. And frankly it is. And, yeah. and, and, and all they do is inflame things as a result. Well, one of the GMs I work with, he elaborated on it. He says, hey, if you're going to do some of that stuff, which I don't expect you to do, at least be smart enough to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you know, he he yeah. laid out that expectation for him. <laughs> yeah. You would think you wouldn't have to say that because it could frustrate people, but you know, I don't know. Self-awareness is important. So. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not surprised by anything anymore. Yeah, that's true. You know, I've been doing this long enough. I should know better. Um, but, you know, I do think it's a it's a good point, you know, and I think that's especially as we look at certain workplaces that that question of fairness can be can be a big issue. Um, but it's it's not going away. Right. And, and I think um, I think figuring out ways to, to to structure it in a way that makes sense uh, is is the right approach. I also think a lot of this comes back to what you were talking about earlier, which is the fact that a lot of this is just good leadership, right? And a lot of people right. don't necessarily understand what that means because they've never been through formal training. And it's, you know, it's really, it's up to us as, as HR professionals and, and, you know, folks who are helping support organizational culture to, to, to set these expectations for leaders, right? So if, if it's as simple as setting good expectations, then, you know, we need to take the lead on that. No, the other thing is, is don't assume that all your leaders are necessarily good leaders. You know, I mean, a lot, I, I, I've seen a lot of leaders love hybrid because they do the stuff that they don't want their employees to do when they're at home. Uh, you know, crazy as that sounds. And, and, and the other thing that, and it's sad, I've seen a lot of leaders um, think that because they use the excuse that hybrid is harder to manage so they just stop managing. And if you have that going on in your organization, you need to say, hey, look, we got to come up with innovative ways to manage in a hybrid workforce, not just abrogate those responsibilities and not do them at all. Right. Yeah, I think about it. You know, it reminds me of the old school kind of, you know, the way I was raised to lead is kind of the trust but verify, right? You know, you, mm-hmm. you have to trust people. That's just part of the way it is to, to lead somebody in a hybrid environment. But you have to verify. You still have to lead. You have to set expectations. Yeah. You have to clarify, uh, you know, what what you expect, what needs to get done, when it needs to get done. And then you need to follow up if that's not happening, right? But it's that's really easy to say without without being thoughtful and intentional about how you do that as a leader, right? Yeah, and I think intentionality is the real key. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, uh, this has been this has been fun. And, you know, I... I, I schedule, you know, about 35, 45 minutes for these things. And I, 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 I always kick myself because I just want the conversation to keep going. But we are, we are going to shift gears. We're going to go into the Rebel HR Flash Round, which we did not have a chance to do because it didn't exist the last time we talked. So okay, uh, here we go. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Question number one, where does HR need to rebel? I, I think HR has to, has to truly take their seat at the table. 
And those HR leaders who capitalized on the pandemic showed that they belong at the table. Uh, If you haven't done that, you need to take your seat at the table uh, because otherwise a lot of uh, leaders view HR as a cost center. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I've told this story quite a bit, so I apologize to all the listeners that have heard, heard this story multiple times. (laughs) I'll never forget the, the orientation. I went into an orientation and I was brand new hire, HR generalist. And I sit down in that, that chair and the continuous improvement manager points at me and says, you're non-value added overhead. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, first of all, well, this is a great employee experience. Uh, but but that, that was the context of human resources at the time. Right? Yeah. Now, this was all pre, this is way pre-COVID. This was a long time ago. And this was before I think a lot of the kind of new school HR you know, the theory started to come into play. But the reality is that that HR had not earned a seat at the table yet. Right. Um, and it's because we, we hadn't articulated the value. We hadn't been that critical uh, component of the business. And, and, you know, the reality is that we all have a responsibility to earn that within our organizations because ultimately that makes our organizations better. So I couldn't agree more. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's not, nothing like getting pointed at and saying, you're overhead, you're non-value added. The customers don't want to pay for you. Yeah, right. Uh, that makes you feel good, doesn't it? It does, it does. It's like telling someone, you know, just don't suck any more than you have to, right? Like that's, gee, thanks. Thanks, coach. I'm going to go out there and do my best, you know? <laughs> All right, question number two. Who should we be listening to? Me. Actually, I, 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 do, I, I do constant posts on uh, LinkedIn. Uh, for what it's worth, I mean, if if you if you care about employee retention, you need to be watching my stuff uh, because I talk about employee retention all the time, uh, and you know, and and you need to find experts out there in certain fe- certain areas that are important to you as an HR leader. Uh, I, I think the other thing is is I am uh, an avid reader of the Wall Street Journal. Uh, I pretty much read the Wall Street Journal cover to cover, and when I don't, my wife who also does research for me, she's reading it and handing me articles. And the Wall Street Journal is a great spot to get a lot of not only HR uh, knowledge, but business knowledge. And too many HR people are only concerned with with being HR. You got to be a business person first, HR leader second, because that's one of the ways that you take your seat at the table. I couldn't agree more. I've, I've, I've said that for years. I also have the benefit. I didn't start in HR, right? So I, you know, I, I, I was one of those people hating on HR back in the day. <laughs> so, so it's, you know, I, I've, I've, I had the benefit of that, but I, I do, you know, getting that well-rounded knowledge of, of business and, you know, learning that within the context of your organization, that's how, that's how you build the trust, right? And the credibility and the ability to speak up. Um, and have people listen to you. So I couldn't agree more. And you say, hey, saw this great article in the Wall Street Journal. It's not you saying, hey, I think we need to do this. You show them the article. And then right. you say, hey, you know, I think maybe we could use some of this stuff. Let's talk about it. Uh, again, it, it's being a resource for the owner, the general manager. Uh, again, adding value. Adding value. But using resources to validate that you know what you're doing. Right. 
Right. Yep. hundred percent. All right. Last question. And, and we, we started to talk about it, but how, how can people connect with you, learn more and, and, uh, and, and follow some of the content and, and ideas that you're putting out there? Well, you can go to my website. My website is uh, jeffcortis.com. That's uh, spelled K-O-R-T-E-S, and it's J-E-F-F. Um, and uh, jeffcortis.com, again, that's K-O-R-T-E-S. You can sign up for my blog. Uh, you can read all the kind. I mean, I, I've i got something that's probably I probably post twice a week, and it goes to my website. You can go in there. You can look at it, you know, again, and, and have at it uh, because I, I think that's – it's a great repository because not only did I learn as an HR leader, but I learned from my clients every day. Um, but you know, that's how you, or you can follow me on LinkedIn. I'm constantly posting on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'll have all that information in the show notes. Uh, if you want to check out the past episode with Jeff, it's episode 28 way back in January of 2021. And he'll talk about his famous keynote about giving employees crap. It's worth yeah. worth checking out. So, hey, and what you do want to check out is is go uh, go to LinkedIn because I'm actually doing a series right now. Because as you mentioned, I'm a powerlifter. I'm going to be competing in the national powerlifting championships down in Memphis in about six weeks, and I'm actually doing a documentary of my last eight weeks on the road to Memphis. And that's what, that's what it's called on the road to Memphis, the, the road to Memphis. So, uh, and it's crazy, Kyle, because I post content all the time but the biggest impressions i get on linkedin i when i i show pictures of me weightlifting huh. i saw you doing power squats at one point yeah yeah well, and, and, you know and like hey, Jeff's just working out yeah yeah well, right and, and and more people comment on stuff like that but you know and that's great i you know i, I think a lot of people like to know people as people as opposed yeah. to ah, this is just another guy who knows some of our attention yeah yeah I'm real. You yeah. Know? There you go. I'm gonna put a. I'm gonna put a question in the show notes. I'm gonna say, do you want? Do you want to see Kyle doing jumping jacks on LinkedIn or something? Call him Rebel HR jumping. <laughs> we'll just we'll we'll do a test. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, you know, don't hurt yourself. Yeah, I'll do my best, Jeff. It's been an absolute pleasure, and and uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us, sharing a little bit of knowledge, and uh, can't wait to welcome you back. Yeah, it's, it's, it's always fun. I, I appreciate you inviting me back and uh, let's not make it two and a half years. How's that? All right, deal. Sounds good. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, that does it for the Rebel HR Podcast. Big thank you to our guests. Follow us on Facebook at Rebel HR Podcast, Twitter at Rebel HR Guy, or see our website at rebelhumanresources.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rebel HR Podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of any of the organizations that we represent. No animals were harmed during the filming of this podcast. Maybe.